0: Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI Communications, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Hi. All right. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for attending this really special episode where we're going to get into it. We're going to get into some some deeper conversations on messaging, narrative. How do we talk and educate When is social justice... Situation and crisis occurs. Now we've been talking about it from the lens as in-house or freelance communication consultants. What do we do within our organizations? What this episode is going to provide us is it's going to, through our incredible guest, who I'll, I'll open it up to introduce herself in just a second here. We get the lens of somebody who's working directly within the actual crisis situations as a PR person. Oof. Yes. There we go. So let's get this started. Tiara, please introduce yourself and thank you for being here.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and hello to everybody out there listening. My name is Tiara M. Tucker, and I am the founder and CEO of Tiara Public Relations Network, which is a boutique firm based in Dallas, Texas, where I focus on PR and brand strategy, communication support, special events, and social and community impact. So I've been in the PR communications industry for decades, um, including (laughs) uh, working in corporate America. So I'm really excited to be here with you and to just have a great conversation about a very, very important topic.
0: Thank you, thank you. We had the uh, pleasure of crossing paths at PRSA ICON in October of 2023. And I'm so grateful to you that you came up, I was running a session and you came up and introduced yourself and told me a little bit about the work that you've been doing. And I went, whoa, 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 wait, wait, hold on. (laughs) You need to be on the podcast. And I'm so, I'm really grateful for your, your availability to have this conversation with our folks. So before we get into, um, you know, some of the work, tell me a little bit about your background as far as like, what has your path been, been like in order to get you to where you opened up your own boutique PR firm in Texas? Yeah. So I like to tell
1: people that I have been in probably the PR communications industry since I was a little girl before I even knew it existed. You know, I was always for it. You know, right. (laughs) Like Barbie dolls. I probably was the Barbie's PR agent and didn't know it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I just I always had a passion for communicating. I always had a passion for advocacy, even as, like I said, a little girl. So over the years, I ended up going to college, Illinois State University, where I received my bachelor's degree in public relations. I received a minor in business. And then I went on to receive a master's in communication. And even during that time, I was very active on campus, you know, in college and, you know, throughout uh, my high school and elementary years. And so I found myself just being the one chosen to maybe host an event or emcee an event, or I was always writing about something. And so then I became even more passionate about, like I said, advocacy, right? Just what is right, what is wrong, and not being afraid to use my voice. And so I started my corporate career back in 2004 And I was working for a Fortune 50 company, absolutely amazing company. And I started off uh, working in one department, but I made it very clear to my leaders, I want to work in the communications area, in the public affairs area. So when the opportunities presented themselves, I was the one that they looked at. And so I started working now in corporate public affairs and on the internal side, and then um, just learning a little bit about external and internal, but primarily in the on the internal side of things but while there i was also still doing things on the side and then i eventually decided to give my company a name right um so i called it PR network so i was able to do things with my company um and then things just started just growing and evolving and so here we are today I took a step of faith and I left corporate America so I am a full-time entrepreneur with my communications and PR firm and I'm I'm blessed for the opportunities that I've received. Everyone is a learning opportunity and just another way to to make an impact.
0: Okay, so your PR firm, do you specialize in advocacy, social justice uh situations uh, with different clients, or do you have a a broad, but a specialty? How would you describe it?
1: Yeah. So that's an excellent question, you know, and I used to stress myself out over what's my specialty. What do I want to be known for? And I said, you know what, I'm taking the stress off, right? Who's coming to me and what am I uh, known for? What do I love? And I just took an assessment once and I said, okay, I find that, the common denominator in all that I'm doing is impact, community impact, social impact. So I've worked with some of the leading civil rights attorneys on major police brutality cases. Um, I've had people reach out to me regarding various social justice situations. I've also had community leaders reach out to me and I've helped with political campaigns. I've helped with uh, entrepreneurs who are say launching that new book that's gonna bring positivity. So really the common denominator, business professionals, community leaders, um, advocates and activists who really just wanna make the world a greater place. So I can't define it with the person, I can't define it with the name. It could be a nonprofit, it could be a small business owner. I just define it by the impact and, and what we're about to do together. To make a difference. So that might change down the line, but right now it's a real happy space to be in. Excellent.
0: Excellent. And thank you. Thank you for stepping out and and serving in this way. Um, we're going to get into the police brutality work and, and, and some of the, the more challenging situations that you've been a part of and trying to message um, and to provide narrative and explanation and context and educate with the clients that you've worked with in in crisis situations where it's literally a a matter of life and death. And before we get into that, I would like to hear, um, do you have some examples or at least one example of kind of a a fun, creative, bizarre (laughs) campaign that you've worked on as well? Yeah. So, wow. You know,
1: the one that comes to mind, this was years ago, right? Um, I was living in Illinois at the time. I'm from Kankakee, Illinois. So shout out to my hometown and home state, (laughs) even though I'm living in Dallas now. So when I was living in Bloomington, I know everybody knows her. She's my auntie in my mind, but Oprah, right? So auntie Oprah was about to launch her network, the Oprah Winfrey network, right? So everybody was excited. Oprah's going to have her own network. And so they created a campaign, which I think was very clever. So they opened it up for people who want to have their own talk show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. So a friend of mine brought it to my attention. I said, oh my God, I would love to have a show. So I came up with this show idea. I connected with one of my coworkers who is a producer. And so we created this, this interview and this campaign. And it really was so much fun because... The local radio station had me on the air because they wanted to talk about me possibly having my show. My hometown newspaper wrote a front page cover article about me wanting to have my own Oprah show. So it was based on votes. So we created this actually pretty impressive video teaser. People were voting. I mean, I had like thousands upon thousands of votes. Needless to say, I did not win so I do not have my show with Oprah but I'm I'm on your show which is just as good right <laughs> but that was really fun because it just you know we pulled together a campaign it was on social um it was text it was phone calls radio was involved newspaper so it it was fun um so little lightweight but I've had a lot more serious ones that I've worked on too over the years
0: yeah yeah and I'll be interested to know how you care for yourself as you do this work. Um, but I'm glad, and, and, and you really are demonstrating the challenge of, of most of us as communicators, whether we actually name it or not, is that there's this side of our work that is so fun and can be really creative if we allow ourselves to kind of get into that space of creativity and, and putting ourselves out there. And then there's then there's the more challenging, <laughs> the challenging issues that really, really can make a difference on how somebody feels safe or not um, or understanding what, what's happening uh, and, and also to kind of mitigate polarization that can happen within uh, company situations. There's, a, there's, there's also this real beauty that you put yourself as the person who was being publicized. So now you have that kind of first person experience by being the person who is talked about that's being hyped. Mm-hmm. So you know the experience of your clients because you've put yourself in that role. And then you've also been in house in organizations. So you understand internal politics within organizations you know, struggle to build empires or to get credit and and all of the the good and the ugly of of being within as a communicator in-house, all of those skill sets you're bringing to this, uh, to your firm and to your clients. So let's, let's talk about some of the kind of social justice, the police brutality uh, cases that you've been a part of. How, how did you come upon them and what is your approach when you start to work with a client to try to understand what happened?
1: Yes, yes.
0: So <clears throat> the
1: very first um police brutality case that I that I worked on um, was many years ago. And at the time, I actually was hosting an event. So I was hosting an event on behalf of my PR firm and my nonprofit. I also have a nonprofit. And so I brought in a guest speaker who is uh, one of the leading civil rights attorneys. So at the time he was known, but he wasn't as, as known as he is to this day. So I brought him in as a guest speaker and we were just talking about some of his cases and it was a very interactive, amazing event. Shortly after the event, the next day he reached out and said, hey, would you be interested in handling PR work for me? And at the time I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know, I'll think about it, right? And so, long and behold, I thought about it. He reached out again. And it was really just the timing. At that moment, I said, you know what? Let's do it. So, what he and I did not know is that on that Tuesday, I said, yes, let's do it. So, he gave me my first assignment. I'll never forget. He's like, I need you to send out a press release. And I need you to email. And he started naming like people like Al Sharpton. And I'm like, I don't have their email address, right? <laughs> and he said, it's okay. I have them so that that ease the you know the 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 stress and the nervousness so that was a case that I worked on this was again Tuesday Thursday there was a murder that took place in Dallas very high profile murder um I typically don't give names but um and then I, I asked him I said do you think that you know you'll get this case and he was like well I don't know right there's a lot of different attorneys that might get it I don't know Lo and behold, uh, the family did retain his law office. So I became the PR director. So that next morning I sent out a press release and my press release indicated that this law firm was retained and I was the PR director. When I tell you my entire life, it it like Mm. flipped in a moment
0: because
1: every local national network in America And even some outside of America, they were calling, they were texting, they were emailing. So I was now in the fire. And, you know, it's one thing to work on situations where, you know, you don't know if if media will bite it all. Right. But in this situation, I mean, they were all coming and it was very overwhelming. But I was in a space where I felt like, oh, yeah this is the space that I need to be in because I was able to navigate all of these producers, all of these networks, um, create and host press conferences. Um, So it was a very um, emotional time because we're still dealing with a murder. We're still dealing with a situation where there are a lot of questions, where there are um, a lot of angry people because obviously police is involved. But at the same time, we have a family We have community members. There were so many people impacted, but to just have that opportunity uh, to be behind the scenes, but also in the forefront at the same time was very invigorating. And I learned so much from that very first major situation that I've been able to just bring to so many other situations over the years. So that's how I kind of got my foot into that part of it. And then from there, Um, Obviously, there were more police brutality cases and I would work with those attorneys on those cases. And then I would have other attorneys who would reach out to me. So it's just been a variety of cases. And I feel like my role is to work closely with the attorneys because they are the legal team. But my role is to work with them to, to shape the narrative. Because one thing about cases like that oftentimes you'll find that the first narrative that goes out is that that comes from the police authorities, right? So they're the ones who are often putting out the release or putting out information. They may not put it all out. They may put a a crumb, a piece, but it's our role to make sure that we're shaping the narrative the way that the public needs to understand it and needs to see it. And it's really important that that happens sooner than later, because oftentimes people might follow a case or a situation and they might not. But it's all about um, how do we get the truth out, knowing that it's still most of the time they're developing stories.
0: And how do you manage that? Because organizations deal with that as well. Something happens initially, but we don't have all the answers of exactly what happened. So what have you learned through these situations on how to handle something where you need to say something immediately to kind of set the tone, try to get what is known as facts out there, but then keeping up that momentum that you're the source to come back to and to build that credibility? Because I think it's something that organizations can learn as well It's just how to pace these things out when you don't have all the answers. Absolutely. So whenever
1: I'm working on a situation, the very first press release that I send out is one acknowledging who the point of contacts are. And and that alone can just it can do wonders, right? Because in crisis situations, people are reaching out to whoever they can. They'll do a Google search. They will find whoever they can that represents the company, the situation. I mean, I can't tell you how many times they'll reach out to the family that's still dealing with this situation or this loss. So my number one priority is let's get something out to the media, and let's let them know, one, if there's a legal team involved, this is who has now been retained. And then also, as far as me, all media inquiries will come my direction. So now we're already adding a little organization. So now from there, they have my phone number, they have my email, they're able to follow us. And then there oftentimes, I'll get an email or a text saying, hey, please add me to your distribution list. So So those are the things that can happen when you at least let it be known. These are your points of contact. And then from there, um, you know, depending on your distribution list, you know, maybe you, you're sending it to the broad email address. Oftentimes, you're going to get an email saying, this is the, the person or this is the journalist that's assigned to this. And, or they'll reach out and say, hey, keep me posted. You know, I'm following the story. And then another thing, you know, that, that I would do on my firm, we'll go out there and we'll see. Who's already covering this, right? A, a Google search. Who are the journalists and the and the outlets that are already covering it? So we need to get this journalist information because we're now adding them to our distribution list because we can already tell that that they're that they're attempting to cover the story. So let's bring them on. So so that's what I call building my network of the media outlets that I know already have some interest. So even then, that's a good level set. Um. If there is a statement that can be made early on, include the statement. It could be very simple, right? It doesn't have to give a lot of detail. It can be as simple as um, we're still looking into all of the facts. Uh, we, look, we look forward to sharing more information. But again, it's bringing everybody back to you or to that the, the people that are going to be the representatives. Um, And then also on the other side, it'll bring, um, let's say, the police or the authorities. Now, they're watching as well. So um, that's just one example. And then from there, um, I would say it's not a matter of quantity. It's not about just throwing out a release, throwing out a release, throwing out a release. It's actually having something to say. And it also takes strategy in deciding what's the best approach. There have been situations where um, we felt the best approach was, okay, let's have a press release um, that that lets people know we're going to have a press conference. So now we have a press conference and we're bringing everybody in together. But there have been some situations that I worked on where we said, you know what, let's make this an exclusive. We're going to just do an exclusive interview or situation and I know not everybody is in favor of that, but but there are times where that might be the most appropriate um um situation at that time. So it just really depends. Um but it definitely requires a lot of communication and 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 really thinking strategically on how you can get the, the greatest impact and the greatest reach.
0: Now when you're working with these grieving families and these fired up lawyers <laughs> <laughs> and you know that locally, statewide, maybe even nationally, and as you mentioned, even internationally, people are kind of hanging on information, and and you are as close to the source of the the victims' um, side of the story as you know more so than anybody else. You have direct access to the family, perhaps even friends who are. Uh, you know, in the same uh, area when it happened, uh, et cetera, or impacted themselves. So what are the key things that you're looking for when you are talking to these different parties and listening? What are you listening for that helps you organize into what the eventual narrative is going to be in order to receive the, whatever the objective is, justice, you know, whatever justice looks like in the, in that, in in those key situations, what are you looking for? That's going to create that, that story, that narrative that you want the public um, as well as the police and, and whoever else is involved to know, understand and do something with.
1: Yes. So for me, I want to know the person. So questions that I want to ask, um, well, what did he or she do, right? What was their profession? What did they love? What was, the, what was his or her passion? Because what we're doing, we're going to humanize the person. We want to humanize the person because depending on the situation, and again, I, I've worked on police brutality cases. I've worked on... Um, cases where police was not involved and in but it still was a a, a victim involved. Mm-hmm. I've even had the opportunity and I'll talk about this a little later where there was a ha- a high profile celebrity who actually was a part of a murder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he was now um on the other side and there was a victim. So so I'm just saying that to say each experience allows me to see things from a different perspective, but at the end of the day who is this person? Because in, in most of my experiences, most, not all, where it involved police brutality or, or a police-involved situation. The narrative feels negative, you know, or it feels like there's some holes or some blanks. So people might see a young man who, I'm just going to give an example, a young man in a hoodie, and we think negative. Or a young man. Well, what is he doing there? He shouldn't have been there. That's not always the case, right? This person uh, could have been a father. This person could be um, a professional. I mean, so so sometimes what we see is not always the reality. So let's let the world know who this person is. Do we have pictures? If we have pictures, let's let's provide a picture of this person with perhaps. Um, family members, if they are okay with that. And they're not always okay with that at times. So let me add that. It's always about what are they comfortable with. Um, If if we want to share that they love, say, art, or they love to sing or whatever it is, let's share that story and let's start humanizing the person. And then I I think it helps uh, the narrative take on a new life because now I can relate. Now this could be my brother, my sister, my child, my grandchild, my coworker. So it's not about what we think, it's about, wow, there's a level of empathy that is involved when we know the person and we can share their story.
0: Okay, so once we have that established, we know who this person is. They're a real human being, they're not a statistic, and and I I also hear in what you just shared that you're looking for language that's gonna remove these excuses and remove this invitation to victim blame. That you're yes. looking for ways of like, okay, here's here's you know what this person was about, but to try to mitigate potential like, well, what were you doing there in the first place? Or if you were dressed that way, you're asking for it, you know, these these very phobic, sexist, all the exactly. things racist uh, points of view that can cloud and miss the situation that is actually right here for us to take a look at. So in any of the Absolutely. situations that you've been in, um, what have there been opportunities where you have added to the narrative, like more of a cultural context or a social context to educate people about how this isn't just a one-off situation. Has that been a part of your work? And if so, how have you approached that in your messaging and narrative?
1: Yes. Yes. Well, especially with some of the attorneys that I've worked with, I mean, they have a long history of multiple cases or multiple situations. And so um, that's always an opportunity to perhaps reference a previous situation or to even mention maybe some of the the, the efforts that those attorneys or that I've worked on in the past. And then what we find is that, as an example, um, and I say this with all due respect, um, when George Floyd's situation, uh, you know, came out and was revealed, there were many people who, for the first time, we're now paying attention. But those that have been a part of this journey and 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 being familiar with more and more stories, George Floyd's story was similar to others. Maybe not the exact same circumstances, but there were so many more lives that were impacted. So, so that's an opportunity where it's not that. People are trying to, to, to steal the spotlight, but instances like that bring out pain that other families have experienced. So there are some families that I've, that I've worked for and I've advocated for, and when another person um, is, is a victim or is, is um, murdered or injured, it now brings their pain out again. So now they're maybe sharing their story even more. So it it's more of a ripple effect that people may not even understand, but it impacts so many people in so many ways. So um, I think that's just just one thing to keep in mind that um, one story probably equates to to years and decades of other stories.
0: And one of the things that I struggle with that you're bringing to mind right now is what is the hierarchy of why we hear of some and and never of others? Do you have any insight to that of like why there isn't more of an equality around media coverage uh, when it relates to, you know, these situations? Yeah. That's a very good question.
1: That is an excellent question, and I've seen it firsthand. Um, I'll just say this. For every one story that you may see that hits mainstream, there's several, several more. Probably even that happened the same day, to be honest with you. And I didn't understand that until I was actually um, you know, heavily involved um, during one period of time. I, th- I think there's multiple factors. I think that... Um, For one, it could be on the local level, right? Is this is this a story that the local media is going to bring to the forefront, right? Um, Is this a story where there's national representation? And what I mean by that, um, you know, there are some attorneys, and I've worked with them: attorney Ben Crump, attorney Lee Merritt, attorney Daryl Washington, so many more, and I have so much, you know, love and respect for their work because they work hard. If they, you know, maybe are are, are mentioning or they are part of a case, m- most of the time it is going to raise um, eyebrows. People are going to pay attention to it, but it's because they've done so much work um, and that people are following them. And so those are just some examples, but even some of their cases may not make it to that national platform. So my personal opinion is that there is no magic secret sauce. I think some of it is just—it's—it um, can be timing. It can be um, the level of the level of interest. Maybe it's something that went viral. Maybe it's something that everybody's talking about because everybody's involved in this story. So now obviously the media's interested. Um, maybe it could be, you know, because of who's involved in it. So there's so many factors. And I'll tell you, there have been times where I pushed out press releases for cases that would just have you in tears and they may not get picked up. They might get picked up locally. They might get, you know, a nice little run in the media, and that might be the extent. There have been times where I've, I'll be honest with you, okay? I've reached out to Nash like, hey, i hooked you up before. Can you, can you hook me up and get this story out there? And, 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 and maybe they can, maybe they can't. There have been times where I had a story that was ready to go on a national network. Interview, we're ready to go. And then a national disaster happens a tornado or a storm and it can just push that story out of the way. So there's so many factors of what can happen. Um, And I just think there's no magic. There's no magic. It just, and I've had families that have expressed, well, why can't our story get that type of lift? And it's heartbreaking to say, you know, you know, I don't know, but, grassroots efforts still mean a lot um the the local organizations that help push stories out you know it doesn't have to be in the media to still make an impact there are community organizations there are advocacy groups that are still helping to push the narrative but not everyone is going to rise to the top it just isn't
0: and i think it does uh working with uh social media certain outlets or influencers does that play a role in your comms plan to try to get the word out even in non-traditional media outlets
1: absolutely i think that with us living in a space of where social media everybody's on their phone let's be real some people may question: Is a press release needed anymore? Because if you can put it on social and it can go viral, and the media's following social or or whatever, so I think that the the day and times that we're living in now, you know, it can be just someone who was a witness on the scene with the video, and that video goes viral. So there there's so many other factors now in play. There can be an influencer who now shares it on their page or a a radio personality or whomever, where even if it never hits a major network, the story can still get momentum. So there's just so many uh, layers and there's so many opportunities. And I say that in a positive way too, where if someone is, is struggling with, oh, it didn't get national attention, it didn't get local attention, you know, it's okay. Not everything will, but just do your part. If you feel it's something that, that does need some attention, you know, do your part, get it out the best way you can. It can be on social media. It can be creating a quick video. It can be a news article. It can be being a guest on a podcast. There's so many ways. It could be being a featured guest at a, at a rally. So there's so many avenues um, to get a story out. But then also it's about understanding what is the desired outcome. There are some situations where people may not even want it to hit mainstream. So it's really knowing the client, knowing the situation and knowing how to best uh, approach it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I bet that's that's a key part of what you're working with. And there's the initial situation of the initial like the murder you know, so what evidence do we have? What do we kind of assets do we have to work with to tell the story and back up what we're talking about? And then it could be months or even years later when a trial may or may happen. And, you know, getting people back into the interest of what happens, you know, w- with the trial um, and, you know, getting people reengaged into this story, I assume would be a challenge as well. One of the things that I love about what you're talking about is that you're you're putting this information out, you're working, you know, depending on what the desired outcome is from the led by the family and the kind of information assets, if you will, whether it's videos, testimonials, or, you know, whatever it may be, family members that wish to talk, photos, like you mentioned, when something happens, and an organization is either headquartered there has an office there, Uh, whether it's gotten local attention or even national attention. What advice do you have for how companies can be a part of the solution when these social justice issues that can be polarizing depending on, you know, members of the community and and their level of understanding the social context, uh, being, you know, educated around what's happening um, where it's coming from, what's causing it, root causes, et cetera. What's your advice as far as like the role that organizations should play when you're out there saying, here's, here's stuff you can work with. And here's what we're telling you from the point of view of the family and what we understand that happened to this to this individual, this human being. Um, what do you want organizations to do with that? And especially to your point where, retelling these stories can be quite re-traumatizing for some members of the of the workforce. So since you've worked on the inside and now you're on the outside, what role does organizations have when these um these horrific situations occur? Yeah, wow.
1: So my response is probably gonna be a little unique, you know, it might not even be what people expect to hear, but there's there's so much that is happening in America, in a city, right? And it can be overwhelming to try to attack or address everything. So as an example, and I'm gonna answer your question, but I just wanna throw this out there. So although we've been talking about like police brutality involved situations, which is very tragic, I'll give an example of, of of just two cases that I helped with this year. One involved the Allen Texas mass shooting. Mm -hmm. This has nothing to do with the police, right? But now we have a crisis situation where there's an active mass shooter and and someone uh, that I was working with, a client, he was a survivor. Mm -hmm. So he was shot, could have been left for dead, but this isn't police involved but it's mass shooting. So that's a, another topic. So then this past week I was called in because a young teenager by the name of Keith Slaughter, he was at a party. He's a he's a basketball star, local high school student. He was at a party and he was an innocent bystander that was shot and killed. This isn't police involved. This isn't um, mass shooting. So I'm giving these examples Look at the variety and complexity of different situations, all perhaps in the same uh, you know, DFW community. So, is it the company's role to address every single thing that's happening? Not including there might be a fire that just happened here, and, and you know, and residents are dealing with the fire or something here or something there. So I I do understand that it can be overwhelming to say, well, well, which situations do we address? Which ones do we attack? Um, That's challenging. But at the end of the day, they all exist. Um, And my my recommendation would be um, just think about the employees, think about the people, right? So as an example, when I was in corporate America, we had employee resource groups. Some people may call them affinity resource groups, whatever you call them. And I personally, I'm in favor of organizations um, that have these groups because it allows people to come together. um, Perhaps they have similar interests and perhaps they are not a part of that particular demographic, but they want to be an advocate or they want to learn from that group. So it's very open. It's inclusive, but it also... Um, You know, maybe there's an African-American affinity group. And so that group might be the group that wants to highlight certain situations, certain efforts to spread awareness and education to other members of the organization as a whole. So I say that to say, I I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. But at the end of the day, I think it's about passion. It's about honesty. It's about what do you feel. Because it can be challenging if you take every single thing that's happening. But when it's something that's major, when it's something that is keeping your employees up at night, and if it's something that's keeping you up at night, and if employees are reaching out saying, are we going to address this? Then I think that's your sign. You better address it because it's a little deeper. And I feel that it is the... Responsibility of companies, especially if you believe in social responsibility or corporate responsibility or doing your part in the community, then don't just talk about what you're going to do. Right? Don't just make that statement, um, because your your customers are are watching. You know, your employees are watching, and whether you do something internal or you do something external, just just make sure that. You have your, your ears on the ground, eyes are watching, and, and, and you do something when you feel it's needed. And I know that was a roundabout answer, but honestly, I don't feel it's a one-size-fits-all answer. I felt like, as an example, George Floyd, and I give that one as an example. Everybody talked about George Floyd, rightfully so. If a company didn't address it, employers were probably looking at their employer like, why wouldn't you address that? But I also looked at it like, I'm glad you're addressing it, but what else are you going to do about it? Like, like we'll, well, I mean, what else, right? This happens all the time. We can't just put out one statement and then that's it. You know, so I just think it, it, it's deep. And, and it's about bringing the right people to the table who have the thoughts, the opinions, the experiences, the perspectives, bringing it all together.
0: Well, thanks for setting up everything that I do with my clients on the depth model and because <laughs> you said deep <laughs> and and being. Very- I know, and it is hard. I, I, <laughs> I
1: wish I mean, maybe we need to write a book on just that alone, because it's 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 so deep, like, you know there There's so many things that 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 are hurting people where you know somebody might feel a, uh, like well why did we address that but not address that mm-hmm. but what about this but not that
0: yeah yeah i i I'm with you and, and and that's constantly the kind of conversations that I have with clients. Well, we can't say something about everything, and I'm like, well, there's a couple of different ways we can reframe that as a way to stop from getting involved. And I couldn't agree with you more with your statement earlier, where you said is not a one size fits all a thousand percent. That's why we have the model. That's why I do the DEI lens method. It is absolutely, I completely agree with you. And looking at what differentiates ourselves within our external calm strategy, how do we position ourselves socially? What do we attach ourselves to that we can move the needle in a meaningful way to your point? <laughs> and you're like, and yeah. <laughs> and so it answers the and. And then ob- obviously, making sure that we have our employees' backs on the inside. So we're going to cover more things. We need to talk more openly about things internally that we than what we have influence in externally and, and differentiating them, finding our space and our role in that. So thank you for that. Yes. Um, and also, yeah.
1: I just want to add one more thing too. Um, there's also a feeling where there might be some people or some... Um, you know, organizations within an organization where they're always pulled, right? There can be mm-hmm. emotional drainage yeah. that occurs too when it's, let me go to this person, let me go to this person, let me go to that person. But I, I am an advocate. Bring the voices to the table. It is okay to not know. It is okay to be a CEO, a communicator, um, of the PR person, and you don't know what to say or what to do. It is your obligation to seek wise counsel. Bring in the people who you trust, who, who will help you make an influential and an uh, impactful and an informed decision about what perhaps you should or should not do, what you should or should not say. It is okay. And, and, and it's humbling. And it probably will even make your, your employees appreciate you even more Mm -hmm. when you say, you know what? I don't understand this, but now I want to understand. Let's understand together. That can move mountains. So it's okay. It's okay to not know, but it's not okay to not know, not do anything and just act like nothing is happening and, and you're ignoring your people too.
0: There it is right there. Yes. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, this, that's, that's the big lesson out of, out of this work lately, I think is like, you don't have to have all of the answers. You can't know all the things. That's the beauty. That's why there's a D an E and an I, you know? So if you're yes. going to be doing messaging, that's going to be inclusive of a variety of people's experiences on a given, you know, situation, a crisis situation, especially then, there's that then if you have the diversity, then you're going to have those those perspectives represented in order to create the inclusive communications and messaging and container or in a social situation. So excellent, excellent advice. So you're an external PR agency and, and a lot of our corporate comms uh, colleagues and teams hire PR agencies to give them recommendations for crisis communication situations. Now I saw there was articles about it that backed it up, but I, I saw clients who were coming to me saying, Corp, our Corp comms PR agencies have recommended, like I'll do, I'll do the example of when Roe v. Wade was overturned. Our Corp comms PR agency of record has has recommended that we say nothing. So leaders are going to say nothing. And, and here's, the my contact is the internal or the employee communicator who's coming to me saying that doesn't feel right <laughs> that doesn't feel right and so this one size fits all this blanketed and we have to we have to give better advice than that and we have to be proactive on our social positioning when it comes to social justice topics and issues as well as just general diversity equity inclusion communication practices we have to be better strategically positioned we have to have a strategy and a framework in place. That's where the depth model comes in. And we really, we, we can't allow anybody that we have that's going to provide recommendations to us or train us in media training or uh, in, um, you know, crisis communications, playbooks, et cetera, to not have a DEI lens on that work. Like that is to me is completely unacceptable as unacceptable. Here we are three years after post George Floyd. I mean, I wanted it before that, right? But we really don't have an excuse post George Floyd. So what is your recommendation of what corporate communication teams to be need to be looking for and expecting and requiring of communication vendors, whether it's marketing agencies, strategic strategy and brands, uh, content, social media like uh, as well as pr agencies that they are bringing in and asking for their recommendations what 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 do they need to mandate and require of the, of their agencies in order to put them in a stronger position if they don't hire you and me which is the right thing for them to do <laughs> That is a yes, fast track uh, to getting to much better strategy. <laughs> but if they already are locked in <laughs> with other agencies, yeah. what do they need to mm-hmm. demand of their agencies in, so they are not in a, dis- in a place of disservice by those agencies?
1: Yes. Wow. I would say, first of all, know that this is your company, your brand. At the end of the day, you know, your culture, you know, your people, you know, your history and, you know, your desired future more than anybody that you bring in from the outside. But also, I think that it's important to know that when you are picking a company or deciding on a company or maybe you already have one. I would ask you, meaning the the person or the people look at that company. Is that company diverse? Is that company somewhat representative of your company? You know, how how diverse are they in, in thought and experiences and culture and different things? And granted, this can be a very small company, which is fine. But even then, it is very critical to understand, you know, what is this agency bringing to the table? Because if you're selecting a very one-sided or very um, narrow-minded conservative or liberal or whatever agency you are deciding to work with, then you chose that, you made that decision. So when it comes to something that may feel a little, you know, maybe it's a crisis situation, y- you have to look at, well, well, how how diverse are their experiences? To even help me come up with a, a strategy or a response. But then also look at this company as your partner. When I work with clients, I am your partner, mm-hmm. okay? Agreed. I, because that's how close I want to be with you, mm-hmm. where I understand your goals, your objectives. I want you to feel comfortable calling me at 2 a.m., because you just learn new information and we're going to think about it together. So I say that to say, it's a partnership. Now, granted, maybe you only call this company when something comes up, but how do you feel about their reaction to that? And if you don't feel good about it, and if you're still, if you're questioning their decisions and that may not be the right company for you. Cause at the end of the day, your employees, may not even know that you have this external agency or this external consultant. They're looking at you and what you're providing and what you're Mm -hmm. sharing. So make sure you're in alignment with that agency and you value their opinion. And you're also making sure they understand your culture, your perspective, and being able to provide some of your own thoughts as to what you would like the outcome to be as well. So I think it's a partnership, but- it's about selecting the right companies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Who are walking the talk. And that can teach you something around making sure that they're not making recommendations on performative statements, you know, and, and they know the exactly. difference um, that they themselves are not representing a more of a performative team or a performative approach um, that they are, uh, that they are quite genuine and have expertise uh, in DEI communications in particular, social justice, uh, communications. Um, that's really yes. key. Cause. And if they don't. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, w- I was just going to say, and if they don't, then within their network, they have someone that they can pull in.
0: Yeah. And that, yeah. And that's what I do is that there's a whole team behind me that I custom Put together, depending on who the client is, what the scope of the project is. I pull things together in hopes, Tiara, that you and I end up working together. You handle the external. I handle the internal. And then together we do the social positioning. Like there's, there's, there's a way that we, we work together. We don't have to be a large company to be effective. And that goes to say with some of the very visible, high visible, large global national. <laughs> kind of co- brands that we've worked with you know we, we we've worked with some pretty pretty big names uh that I've been the ghost in the machine for but I always custom curate the projects with clients depending on what their needs are and the makeup of the expertise that I need in the team which includes personal experiences as well as professional experiences um so absolutely This has been extremely helpful. So I'm going to ask you this one question. I love to get everyone who comes on communicate like you give a damn their perspective on what does it sound like or feel like you choose, however you want to answer it. What does it sound like to communicate? Like you give a damn. Ooh. Like you give a damn. Yes.
1: Um, you just, you communicate. You speak from the heart. Speak from if, the it, heart. if it, you, you share what you feel respectfully. But yeah. I just feel like at the end of the day, there's so much going on in the world, there's so many experiences, there's so many things happening, but we're human. Anything happening to someone could also happen to you or your family. So when you're communicating, you communicate from the perspective of what if this was me? Okay, this isn't me, but how how should I how should I react? How should I respond? And I think that that when we start communicating like like with more empathy, and when we start communicating like our goal, our purpose is to make a positive difference in the world, then you know, you might you might share something that others may not agree with, but if it's if you're passionate about it and it's positive, then don't give a damn about what you're saying <laughs> and, and how others may react. Because if that's how you feel and it's positive, not polarizing, mm-hmm. but even then, there might be times where if if, if you're passionate about it and, and just know your voice matters. Your perspective matters. Sometimes people need to hear something that they don't want to hear, that they didn't even think they would ever hear in life. But if, but if that thing that they heard or that thing that they experienced can change their mindset for the better, then maybe don't give a damn about saying it or sharing it. But again, <laughs> do it with respect. Do it with love.
0: Hmm. Yes, 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 yes. I, I want to add a, one more question uh, before we wrap up here and, and learn okay. how people can stay in touch with you how do you how do you take care of yourself given the kinds of stories and intimate knowledge that you get especially through these um, social justice cases and they're not cases they're people you know there's families grieving and and there's a, there's a lot to it how do you take care of yourself how should people take care of themselves based off of what you've learned about how to care for yourself. Um, because as you said, it's compounding and it seems like, and how do you keep up hope? Yes. Um,
1: it can be hard. I mean, there was a time a few years ago when I was really heavily involved um, with more of the you know, social justice or b- police brutality cases. Um, I'm not as heavily involved now. It just, it kind of depends. There's different types of, of uh, situations that uh, might come to my table nowadays. But at the time, I'll be honest, it was very overwhelming. It's very emotional um, because there's so many entities involved And, um, for me, there was a a time when I was, I was burned. Like I I had nothing. Mm -hmm. I was, I felt depleted because it, it can be emotional. It can be a lot of, um, heaviness. But, um, one thing that I, that I learned is that with anything in life, sometimes you do have to pause. Sometimes you do have to take a step back. You know, I like the balance of, you know, I may have a heavy situation over here that I'm working on. Um, but then I might get a message from someone saying, "Thank you for for spreading the word about this. Thank you for letting God use you to get this word out." Those are my confirmations that say it's deeper than than what I'm doing because we're we're part of a movement that's getting awareness out, that's bringing hope. Um, but then at the same time. I have a lot of pleasure in working with people, like I said, somebody that just dropped a new book, someone who who just dropped a new podcast, someone who just opened a new business, because those are those positive stories that means so much as well. So it's that balance. Like I don't want to be known for just one thing. I want to be known as the as Tierra Tierra Tucker, the one who who wants to help make an impact in this world, whether it's regarding something that's a crisis or something that's that's beautiful that gives people hope, wants people to dream even more. Um, and when it comes to the sad stories, I think that one thing that 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 helps me is knowing that we will never understand why a crisis situation happened. we will never ever understand. but if the but if the goal of this family is to say I want the world to know who my child was. That's the legacy I want to leave behind then if telling that story is not going to inspire and impact someone else, then then the job is done. You know, it, it's helping other people more than we even realize. So it's really finding that balance and taking a step back when needed. But just knowing that you are making a difference, one story at a time, one situation at a time.
0: And with your help, people are going to learn more about, about and have more awareness around this and hopefully be able to take it back into their organizations, whether it's through their community outreach and support for employees or actually um, moving the needle to force more prevention of, you know, <laughs> real justice is not, you know, necessarily what leads to a trial, conviction, et cetera. It, it could be the prevention of the, of the death of the person in the first place. And so putting our attention, Absolutely. money and influence and power into those areas for, for so we can prevent this. These loss, loss of lives and these grieving families from even getting to this point. Think. Protect each other, keep each yes. other safe, and keep ourselves yes. safe in the midst of the work. Yep. Tiara, how can people get involved with you? Vote. A vote. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, because,
1: you know, and I, I just, I know we're, we're wrapping up, but I have to say, I, 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 I didn't realize it until someone brought it to my attention. They're like, you know, I've been on the side of, the police brutality where I saw that side of what a family deals with. I've been on the side where someone actually um, was involved on the other side. I've been on the side of, of working with, with politicians. I've been on the side of working with the attorneys. I've, I've had the honor of seeing all the sides and guess what, they all work together. The community organizations, the community leaders. It's an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem. Everybody has to work together. It takes a lot, but any role that you can play, you can play it. It takes donors. It takes volunteers. It takes advocacy. It takes legislation. It takes so much to make an impact. But how to follow me, um, again, my name is Tiara M. Tucker, founder and CEO of Tiara PR Network. You can visit my website, www.tiaraprnetwork.com. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Tiara M. Tucker, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, TRM Tucker, and also I want to also offer a resource. I am the PR and media director for an organization called Love Justice. Love Justice, we are all about um Focusing on social justice and being a community resource hub, virtual um, a space where you can go to learn about over 40 social justice issues and causes that you may care about. We provide blogs, news articles, community events. So go to lovejustice.com as well. We also have a podcast. I'm the host of the podcast and we're bringing in conversations where we're bringing in people who are involved in the social justice space, the de space. And, and we're going to have these conversations so that we can bring the people to the table and their voice. So I would love to connect with anybody out there that's just looking for somebody else to just be a partner or, or, or just have someone just to chat with.
0: Thank you for fighting the good fight in all of the cases that you've been a part of and within Texas as well. And, and uh, yeah, one of the things I said in that session at PRSA icon in Nashville this year was we don't have to do all the things, but we have to do our thing. And when all of us do our, our, our thing, everything's covered. So thank you, Tierra, for your work, for your commitment, for, your guidance and for your presence in the situations that you showed up in and and pulling people together. Um, Thank you for the work and utilizing communications as a way to bring people together. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you. And thank you, Kim, and thank you for all that you're doing. And thank you for a platform like this to allow people like me to share my journey
0: Okay, so what popped out to you from this conversation? I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening and until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.